Hey everybody, welcome to Encuentro. It is Friday, we're two days away from the uh, baptism of the Lord, which is the official end to the Christmas season. Let's begin with the prayer of St. Francis. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, make me a means of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there's despair, hope. Where there's darkness, light. And with their sadness, let me bring joy. Divine Master, grant that I may seek not so much to be consoled, but to console. Not so much to be understood, but to understand. Not so much to be loved, but to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in forgiving that we are forgiven. And it is in dying to ourselves that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Well, today is Friday. And uh, the weekend is once again upon us. Uh, I like to remember, especially today, all of those and pray for those who... Uh, and I'd like to invite everybody to do the same. To pray for all of those who are once again uh, stricken with the uh, COVID virus. Uh, as we all know, um, it's been spreading around like wildfire since the end of the Christmas festivities. Mercifully, most of us are now vaccinated. Some of us have our booster shots and we're protected. At the same time, we all need to, to be careful and to uh, still maintain all the necessary uh, healthy, uh, health and health and safety precautions. So let's, um, let's, let's pray for all of those who, are, uh, who have tested positive. Uh, some of them, you know, uh, also have members of their families who uh, who have tested positive for the coronavirus. So let's ask the Lord to to heal all of them and and protect all of us. A reading is from uh, the gospel reading for today is from Saint Luke, chapter five, verses twelve to sixteen. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and besought him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but to go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded, for proof to the people. But so much the more... The report went abroad concerning Jesus, and, mul and great multitudes gathered to hear and be healed of their infirmities. But he withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. You know, sometimes when you're watching a movie or reading a book, you know, there are certain sections that develop slowly. You know, some of them you go, oh my God, this, this, this part is dragging. You know, some chapters of a book, for instance, would drag. Some are exciting. Some are, you know, are, are enjoyable. Uh, some still are sort of jam-packed with exciting things that keep you on the edge of your seat. Uh, certain movies are like that from beginning to end. Well, if you read the entire fifth chapter of St. Luke's Gospel, you know, the fifth chapter where, you know, uh, our reading for today is taken, you get the sense that this particular section of the work... Chapter 5 of St. Luke is one of those action-packed portions. Okay? If this were a movie, it would be one of those parts where one thing happens after another. Okay? Of course, you only get to see a small portion of it 
uh, in the particular gospel passage that we read. But let me just give you a quick rundown, uh, if you would let me, of what takes place in this entire uh, chapter. Okay, the fifth chapter. See, this is the chapter where Jesus, the very beginning, seeing his disciples having a hard time catching fish, says to them, go out into the deep. Okay, so this is where that, that, that line comes from, go out into the deep. And after, after that, they start hauling in such a huge catch that it felt like the boat would sink you know, because of the weight of their nets. Then, after that, Peter, being so much in awe at that event, kneels before Jesus and says, Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And then, th this is when Jesus says to him, From now on, you will be fishers of men. So this is also the chapter, you know, uh, in Luke, where that line is from. It was after this exchange that the healing of the man with leprosy that we just read uh, happened. Okay. Now, after this healing, there comes another dramatic, uh, another dramatic moment. You know, the healing of the paralyzed man who was let into the house where Jesus was staying through the roof. You know, by his friends who took out the roof tiles in order to lower their sick friend so that he'd be right there in front of Jesus. Yeah. Then, then a confrontation happens. The, the, the first confrontation recorded by St. Luke between Jesus and the Pharisees who, who then accuse him of blasphemy. Yeah. I mean, this was actually the, kind of the opening salvo, if you will, of many other confrontations between Jesus and this particular group of Jewish teachers, you know, the Pharisees. Now, if you think that that was the end of the action, then you'd be wrong. Because immediately after that confrontation, Luke records Jesus calling Levi, Matthew, you know, the tax collector, who then prepares a great feast for Jesus in his house. And then a second confrontation with the Pharisees happens. Okay? This time they murmur that Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners. Then after that is when we find Jesus uttering those immortal words, I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners. This, by the way, is also the chapter where Jesus speaks about not fasting while the bridegroom is still around. You know? And also that new wine should not be put into old wineskins. Otherwise, the old wineskins would burst. Okay? There's one after the other. So, you know, reading this chapter, you sometimes go, wow. You know, from beginning to end, there was action. There was something going on. You know, there was, there was drama. There was conflict. There was controversy. There was healing. There was feasting. Name it. Luke chapter 5 has got it. No, it's a very exciting, action-packed, drama-filled chapter. Now, why did I bring this all up? It's not because of the action or the drama, you know, actually. Although, if you try to imagine everything that's happening in the chapter, uh, it will, like watching a movie, keep you on the edge of your seat. So you think, uh, okay, what's next? Uh, that's not the reason I brought all of these things up. No, I, I wanted to highlight all the action and all the energy of the chapter because tucked away, you know, tucked away uh, within all that action, that drama, that conflict, you know, the controversy, there's something that's quite easy to miss if our attention is focused solely on the action, you know, the drama. 
something that's there in the chapter that's stated as if it were a mere afterthought. You know, like a footnote. One of those, oh, by the way, kind of instances. Uh, if this were a movie, if this chapter were a movie, it's one of those blink and you'd miss it moments. You know? But it's there. You know, What is this moment that I'm uh, referring to? It's a very short verse in the, the entire chapter, and we actually read it in the gospel passage for today. That's verse 16. And it says, But he withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. He withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. It's very subtly tucked away, almost in the middle of the entire chapter, amidst all the action and drama. You know, we are told that Jesus withdrew and prayed. He prayed. A couple years ago, I was asked to preach at the first mass of a young priest, a friend of mine, who was a scripture scholar. You know, we've been friends at the seminary in Louvain, and he asked that I deliver the homily at his Thanksgiving Mass after ordination. Now, I myself was, uh, I wasn't even a, a priest at that time. I was a deacon. So he asked if I could preach uh, at his Thanksgiving Mass. So you can just imagine my nervousness. You know, this guy was, he was very smart. Uh, I was just a deacon. Um, he was also a scripture scholar. And since he was a good friend of mine, I wanted the, the homily to be extra special. Uh, and his advanced degree in scripture didn't make it easy on me. You know, the pressure was on. Yeah? Uh, I figured I I need to make sure that my homily preparation was, was scholarly enough for the professors in attendance, because there were going to be professors, but that it was also accessible enough, you know, for the non-scholars and, and the lady in the congregation. So it was it was going to be a, a rather difficult balancing act, you know. How, how do you craft a homily that is scholarly and substantial on the one hand, but accessible and easily understood on the other hand. It's, it's not easy, you know. Uh, it wasn't easy back then. It's still not easy now. So I was thinking to myself, okay, well, what should I do? Okay. Now, um, I remember, so I started, uh, I started to prepare early. You know, I read. I did my research on the particular gospel passage that he wanted me to preach on. So I read it in its original language in Greek. I checked also the Old Testament uh, readings and even the Psalm. I checked it, of course, I checked them in the original language in Hebrew. We learned all of these things in seminary in Belgium. And so, you know, I, I consulted uh, commentaries. Uh, I read I did research, I wrote, I edited the work, I rewrote, I re-edited over and over and over again. And so I ended up with an entire set of homily notes that could actually fill a small book. I also had several versions of possible homilies with tons of notations on the margins and, and sheets of paper just kept piling up. You know, sadly, two days before the Thanksgiving Mass, I had a lot of research, but still no homily. Okay? All I had was a ton of notes, which I kept to this day just to remind me of something important. And I remember two nights before the big day, I was at my desk, you know, literally uh, staring literally at a, at a sea of paper filled with notes, but still no homily. 
So I thought, you know, uh, maybe something will come up tomorrow. I'll do a little more reading. I need to go to bed now. I'm really tired. But, but suddenly, you know, something, something hit me. You know, I was sitting there and I was so tired. And I remember I, I closed my eyes. And, and I said, Lord, I'm, I'm floating on a sea of paper right now. You know, a sea of scholarly notes. But I still don't have a homily. Um... What should I do? I know. You know. Something popped into my head. How about I talk to you? So I stopped. I stopped writing and I stopped reading and I stopped doing research. And I went to the chapel instead. And I went to the chapel. And I sat there. And you know what? I got a pretty good homily written that night. And as I sat in front of the Blessed Sacrament, things began to fall into place in my head. You know, all the notes, all the research, all the reading, all the writing, all the tentative homilies that I wrote. It was as if something or someone began writing on what had become the blank sheet of my brain. And who else could it be? But the Lord, you know, that experience became for me a template, a guide for homily preparation, believe it or not, which, which I've shared with seminarians I've taught over the years. You know what's the key to a good homily? It's prayer. More than anything else, it's prayer. Research is important. Preparation is important. But prayer is even more important. What's true of homily writing, of homily crafting, what's true of preaching, is true of our daily lives. In fact, it's true of all life. It's our presence to God and His presence to us in prayer that doesn't only pull together all the activities we have, giving these order and direction, is also what gives meaning to what would otherwise just be a jumble of activity. But prayer isn't just saying prayers, you see. Prayer isn't just saying formal prayers. Prayer isn't just going to church. Well, all of these things are important. Prayer is simply talking to the Lord like you talk to someone you know, especially a good friend. You know, I was once asked, what do you do in prayer, Father? And my response is always, I just talk and talk and talk. And when I'm done talking, I stop. And I let him talk. And I listen. I tell him about my day, my successes and frustrations. I tell him my plans for tomorrow, what I'd like to be able to do and accomplish. I... I don't choose the right words. I just talk. Jesus, amidst the busyness of his life and ministry, would often withdraw and talk to the Father. I suppose that recharged him. I suppose that gave his work direction and meaning. But I also think it was just him checking in on his dad saying hello to his father, letting him know how he's doing, just like we do with our parents.
just like our parents like us to do when they miss us or would like to know what's going on with us. Nothing formal, nothing structured, nothing ordered, just a whole lot of talking and listening. Spend some time with the Lord, maybe before you go to bed, 5, 10, 15 minutes tops. He'd like to know how your day was, and perhaps you'd like to share with him how it had been, and maybe he also wants to share a thing or two with you. Trust me, you won't only fall asleep. Well, when you wake up the next morning, you'll be ready for another action-packed chapter of your life, just like the fifth chapter of St. Luke. <laughs>